send salutations to everyone across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I am, as always, your glorious yet humble host, the ace of sports podcasting, Michael Shibley, with you here. Hope you guys have had an incredible week. It is a huge, jam-packed show like we always have. My beloved Tennessee Vols, number one in the land in college basketball, doing a freaky Friday thing with the Lady Vols, which we will talk about very soon. New Hall of Famers in baseball, including the first ever unanimous one. We're going to break all of that down, but of course we've got to start with all the stuff going on in the world of professional football. Holy crap, the Super Bowl is ready to go, and nobody expected what we had with the craziness that happened on Championship Sunday. Of course, you are listening again to the Modern Day Gladiators podcast on the Stage Diver Radio Network. And, of course, you can check all the stuff we've got at stagedivermedia.com where you can check and they've got a nice media player there where you can listen to all the great podcasts including Halfle, J&B's DLC, Deadbeat Radio, and more. All that stuff is there, so if you want to check all that out, make sure that you do. And, of course, you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael underscore Shibley. Of course, you can also like our Facebook page where you can get news updates and live videos and different things like that as well. Just give the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page a like. And of course, the big things, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in wherever you get your fine podcasts. We're there on the Stage Diver Radio Network. And of course, the most important thing that you can do, as always, please like, subscribe, share, give us those five-star reviews. We want to hear from you. We want to interact with you. You can interact with us at stagediverradio.com. You can also call the hotline 865-888-0109 to ask questions. But again, those five-star reviews and those comments, they really help us. It gets us out into the algorithm and help build and get everything bigger and better. That's how you make these podcasts better, and we want to be the best network we can possibly be and bring the awesomeness to the masses. But let's start, of course, with the AFC and NFC Championship games. Craziness has happened. It is. We've had time now to dissect everything and see it all. We've, I've listened to a bunch of other people's thoughts and stuff. Of course, I have my own thoughts, which I will share here. But let's, of course, talk with winners, because we always got to congratulate the winners first here on Modern Day Gladiator. So congratulations to the Rams and the Patriots to making it to Super Bowl 53, which we'll preview, of course, much more on next week's show. But this was just crazy. First time ever, both games went into overtime on the same week. Had high drama, controversy. The Rams, of course, in the first game, beating the Saints 26-23 after Greg Zerline's 57-yard field goal to win the game for the Rams following a Drew Brees interception by John Johnson III. It was the longest game-winning kick in playoff history. The Rams rallied after being down 13-0 early on in the game. Zerline hit this 48-yard field goal with 15 seconds left to force overtime. But, of course, many people believe Zerline would not have had that opportunity if not for the most likely the most egregious miscall or no-call in almost sports history when it comes down to a lot of this. It was amazing, of course, if you guys haven't seen it. Rams cornerback, uh, Nickel Rolly Coleman, 
he committed pretty much blatant pass interference. Also, you could call face guarding. There's definitely a helmet-to-helmet hit on Saints wide receiver Tommy Lee Lewis on a third and 10 with about a minute 45 left in the fourth. The penalty would have brought the Saints inside the five. They would have been able to run more clock and made the Rams use more timeouts and probably get a chip shot field goal at least to, to score with very little time left. So that's the big controversy. Even the league office or someone there called uh, Sean Payton, the Saints head coach, and said they blew the call. They have admitted that. Of course, the NFL has said nothing publicly. That's just what Sean Payton has come out and said. It was just an amazing moment and one where I've never been one to just heap all the blame on the official, the the officials, because they have a very tough job. And again, all calls really are subjective calls when it comes to it. The old saying you could probably call holding on every play does ring true with a lot of this. It wasn't a big factor. Absolutely, this was a big factor in this game because careers have changed. I mean, there's a lot of these Saints players that will be remembered only for what happened in that game legacies are on the line. Drew Brees and Sean Payton having a chance to go back to a second Super Bowl. So many things changed because of this play. Now again, yes, it was one play. The Saints did win the coin toss because if they had marched right down the field and scored a touchdown, nobody, yes, you would have brought up the no call, but it wouldn't have been as huge a factor as it became. You have of course, the the traffic sign on Lake Pontchartrain said we were robbed. You've got Saints fans filing class action lawsuits against the NFL and against the officials. You have a, a car dealer, a new big Saints fan who's bought a bunch of billboards in Atlanta saying where the Super Bowl is going to be held, that the, the Saints were robbed, and all these different things. So it, it's amazing to see what's been going on here. It's a call, I've seen it probably hundreds of times at this point, or it feels like that. You've got to make that call. You at least have to make a call where, even if you're not sure it was a helmet-to-helmet hit, you should at least throw a flag for that. Maybe, let's just take the pass interference and put it over here for right now. That looked like a helmet-to-helmet hit. You've at least got to throw the flag for that to then take a look at it at least being a helmet-to-helmet call at that point because that was something that seemed, yes, the pass interference was there. The helmet-to-helmet was also very much there. So even if you feel like there wasn't pass interference for some reason, even though there was, you should at least take a look at the helmet-to-helmet. I've always been one of these people, though, because if you start to bring in challenge flags for pass interference and there's been talk out there of having a challenge flag or being able to challenge calls for say 15 yard or more penalties because pass interference is a spot foul you could see that maybe something going on the problem is if there's a blatant holding call at some point that's missed are you going to start making them review those things it's it's such a slope of I'd say slippery slope but I hate that talk because everybody talks about where does it stop it stops somewhere it always stops somewhere that's been the argument all the time in in politics and life well if you allow this you know are you going to then allow this and this and this where does it stop it stops somewhere you do stop it somewhere 
It's not just going to keep on going down. That's not how life really works when you think about it. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. Is there going to be punishment for referees? I, I don't know. You make a call like that, I, I don't know if any team would trust to have those officials back on the field. And these are supposed to be the best officials because the ones who get to do the championship games in the Super Bowl are the top referees that have had their grading all year. And it's one of these things that's amazing because you look at college football, guys like Anthony Jordan and and uh, Tony Green, whatever his name is, some of the guys like that who are obviously there for themselves or umpires like Joe West who seem to make a living out of drawing attention to themselves where really referees should be best seen and not heard from except when they actually have to make a ruling. You don't want anything else with a referee. Now, I, of course, as you've listened to this podcast, am a huge wrestling fan. Those of you who know that and have watched plenty of wrestling know I expect to see missed calls or something weird happen with referees in wrestling matches, but not in an actual professional sport where money can change and things like that. Now, again, I'm not going to put everything on this game on that call. Yes, there is so much on that call, and the refs blew it. But you have to look. The Saints, they were up 13-0 early and could not hold on. The They were only able to rush for 48 yards in the game. They averaged about 127 yards a game is what the Saints did. So there were other factors there. And still, you had a chance to win in overtime. But if the Saints had been able to get that ball inside the five, we probably wouldn't have gotten to overtime. So it's a mess. I'm not saying completely overhaul calling and making judgment calls something to review, even though, yes, Pretty much any penalty could be a judgment call. So you have to look at it that way as well. I'm not going to... I'm I'm not wanting this to be like... I'm going to use another wrestling reference here. I think it was the 2005 Royal Rumble where uh, Batista and John Cena both tumble out of the ring and land at the same time. So both sides are claiming that they won. And then Vince McMahon comes out. And you know, oh my god, it's Vince McMahon's music playing. And then he comes in. Of course, hilariously, if you watch the video, he trips going into the ring and tears both ACLs. And he's sitting on the mat looking ridiculous. Uh, But he says, restart the match. You're not going to have, you know, my god, that's Commissioner Roger Goodell's music come out and rule that you have to restart the match. Or restart the game from that point. No matter how many petitions you have, the NFL is going to rule that they're going to back their officials even with a blatant miss like they had. So it's going to be real interesting in the press conference with Roger Goodell coming up in the next week leading up to the Super Bowl with Media Week and all that other stuff coming up where he's probably going to have to answer some of these questions because they have been very quiet on that publicly. So we'll have to see how that goes where these questions come up. And, of course, we'll talk more about all those press conferences and such on next week's show as we preview more of the Super Bowl. Let's go over to the AFC Championship game where there was also some questionable calls and also, of course, a big question about overtime. But again, of course, we always talk about the winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators as the Patriots beat the Chiefs 37-31 in overtime. It was the Patriots. It's now their third straight Super Bowl, the ninth in total 
Super Bowl for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And, of course, Robert Kraft has been now to 10 as an owner because he did one with uh, Drew Bledsoe uh, as quarterback as well. So you have to keep that in mind. But still, just an amazing run. Everybody was like, oh, the Patriots are dead. Obviously not. Everybody was willing to bury the Patriots. I've been telling you for weeks on this show, I'm not burying them until they've buried themselves. And they did not do that. The Patriots were up early, but Kansas City had a great fourth quarter. They kept coming back, 24 points in the fourth quarter to force overtime. Damian Williams, three touchdowns. The uh, Chiefs were up 28 to 24 with two minutes, you know, two plus minutes left in the game. And then you talk about a mistake. And that's what the Patriots do so much is they wait for other people to make mistakes. Linebacker D. Ford lined up offsides, which negated an interception that pretty much would have clinched the game for the Chiefs. So the fact that he just lined up offsides, and that's one of the things they teach you early when they're teaching line play in football. Dude, where's onsides and where's offsides? You could fault him more if he was, say, ready to blitz and got too much of a head start or got too anxious. I'm never going to fault anybody's true effort for that. But the fact that he lined up offsides was just ridiculous when you look at things. And, of course, there was the terrible call where they called an illegal hit to Tom Brady's head where it wasn't. That's a call that I can see you being able to challenge because it's a cut-and-dry thing where it's like they hit him in the head. No, they didn't. And, of course, only Tom Brady pretty much at this point is going to get that call. You could maybe argue Drew Brees might get that call. You could argue that Aaron Rodgers might get that call. There's only a few quarterbacks that are going to get that, but Tom Brady's the golden boy, so if you sneeze on him the wrong way, they're going to throw a flag for 15 yards. You're pretty much going to have to game plan for that when it comes down to it, but I do think a call like that should be reviewable because it is one that you can go back and look and be like, hey, they didn't actually hit him in the head. And by the way, they can make all these calls from New York. Can we stop the refs from having to wander over and have some lackey holding up a monitor for the ref to look at while they're doing it too. We need to just stop that. Just have officials, I don't know, hire Mike Piera back uh, from Fox and have him make all the rulings because he seems to do a damn good job of it for Fox. Have him back there and make all of that. But then the uh, Patriots, they scored a touchdown. Then the Chiefs kicked a field goal to force overtime. And then the Patriots just went out and stole the Chiefs' hearts. A 13-play, 75-yard drive in 4 minutes, 52 seconds to win the game in overtime on Rex Burkhead's 2-yard run. The Chiefs never got the football because the Patriots won the toss. Again, the rules in overtime. It used to be, back in the day in the NFL, it used to be win the coin flip and whoever scores wins. So sometimes you could win the coin toss, make a couple first downs, and then kick a long field goal. Game was over. They got rid of that once they realized, I think, with the uh, Saints and the Vikings in the NFC Championship game, that Brett Favre never got the football, and so he never had a chance to respond. They changed it where at least you have to score a touchdown to win, so they've implemented that where if the team who wins the coin toss scores a touchdown, the game's over. If they kick a field goal, the other team gets a chance at it, and then they play sudden death at that point. So, you have that. Brady did, though, get three huge third-down completions on that overtime drive. So, the Chiefs 
have a bunch of guys making millions of dollars on defense that could have stopped him. I know they were tired. I get that. Trust me. <laughs> the fact that they were worn out, it's been a long and tiresome game, but it was a coin toss. I just wonder, as a thought, if Patrick Mahomes had been the one and the Chiefs win the toss and Holmes marches down the field, Mahomes marches down the field and Tom Brady doesn't get to touch the ball, would there be as much outcry then? Or if this had been the Bears' defense, you know, one of the best defenses out there in the NFL, if they didn't stop Tom Brady or whoever in overtime, would people be complaining as much? Or is it just the fact that it's Brady and the Patriots? That's something you really have to ask yourself when you think about it. Now, again, one of the things they talk about also is driving. It was reminiscent of what the Patriots did uh, in Super Bowl 51 a couple years ago against the Falcons when they won and just drove right down the field and took the Falcons' hearts in that one. So those are things you have to consider as well. And of course, one of my things as a, a, a commentator and someone who offers their opinions on things, I of course have opinions on what happened, but I've always been told to offer solutions, maybe not the solution that you want to hear. It's one of the things we've always had. You know, your job offer solutions, not the one you might want to hear. That's how compromise works. That's how other things work. People have other ideas. No, you're not going to get a free steak dinner all the time. So that's not a solution to what you do. Sometimes we just offer an idea based on everything. You look at Major League Baseball. They play extra innings. Both teams get a chance to bat. You look at the NBA in overtime. You just get a five-minute overtime period. You just keep playing from where you go. In hockey, you do get sudden death, but at least both teams can get the puck. There's usually not face-off happens and then someone slaps a puck and the game's over. In soccer, they play two extra time periods for the most part, especially in these big international uh, and league competitions. You play that, and then if no one has scored or nobody has the opportunity to score and tie, if it's still tied at the end of all that, then you go to a shootout. So there is more overtime. With the NFL, I would keep the overtime rules the same in the regular season because you're still talking about some sort of player safety at that point. I'm not adopting the college rules for overtime period. As fun as it is in college and nerve-wracking as it is in college football, I don't want to put that in the NFL. I enjoy being able to maybe drive down the field. So what I would do in the postseason in the NFL is just play a fifth quarter. 15 minutes on the clock, you could shorten it to 10 if you wanted to. 15 minutes on the clock, coin flip. Both teams get a chance to play offense and defense unless the offensive team who wins a coin toss can do a 15-minute drive. And then at that point, you really have to tell the defense, shame on you. So that would really be my solution for overtime in the NFL. It wouldn't be one that you would do, again, in... The regular season. Keep the overtime as it is in the regular season, but in the postseason, just play another quarter. If you're still tied at the end of that, if both teams have scored and they both kicked a field goal in the extra period, fine. If you go then after that, then you can play sudden death at that point, but both teams have had a chance in that one. So that's my opinions. Now, looking forward to Super Bowl 53, you do have the Rams and the Patriots. And it should be a very interesting matchup. You've got Jared Goff versus Tom Brady, another 
first overall draft pick versus Brady, who again, historically 198th uh, pick in the sixth round in the NFL draft. You've got the young, you know, quarterback whisperer, genius coach Sean McVay versus one of the best coaches of all time in Bill Belichick. You're going to have to see. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And this will break down all the matchups on next week's show. But my early gut is telling me the Patriots. I've been picking the Patriots because everybody's wanting to shovel dirt on the Patriots and saying they're dead. And I don't see it. They've been just, they keep, yes, they've lost some games they haven't lost historically through the season, but they've adapted. They're relying on their offense and defensive lines. They don't have big-time playmakers. Brady's never really had that. Gronkowski is even not the game-changer that he used to be. He's still out there and still a pretty damn good player, but not to the level that he has been. I'm just going to go with the Patriots as a gut right now. I might change my pick next week, so don't put me and mark it down perfectly right now, but that was my gut going into the Super Bowl. Probably going to keep it, but we'll see as things go forward leading up to the big game. That's going to wrap up this first segment here on Modern Day Gladiators. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with everything else going on in the world of sports and a preview of the WWE Royal Rumble that's this Sunday. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. As always, it is Modern Day Gladiators, and of course, it's the second half of the show, which means it's shibbles and bits. Of course, the stuff I'm leading off with would normally be something we'd talk about in the main story, but hey, all that stuff going on with the NFL and the fact that the Super Bowl is just around the corner, you gotta break all that down, but we've got some great stuff here in Shibbles and Bits, leading off with my beloved Tennessee Vols, the men's basketball team, number one in the hood, G, if we talk about Aqua Team Hunger Force, number one for only the second time in program history. Number one after beating Memphis in 2008, we did lose at Vandy uh, the very next game, so Tennessee did not regain that number one ranking at all the rest of that season. Tennessee this season, uh, back on Saturday, they struggled to beat Alabama at home, but did find a way to win, 71-68. Grant Williams, 21 points, had a big block on Petty, who had 30 points for Alabama and led Alabama in all scoring, including a 16-0 run to start the second half. So that's where Tennessee fell apart. We were up, I think, 12 at halftime, and Petty just went off, and Alabama took the lead. Tennessee had to fight and struggle to get back in there. And this would be a team where under, you would look at teams in Tennessee's past with uh, Conzo Martin or uh, Tyndall or even early Rick Barnes, uh, the first couple of seasons with Rick Barnes, Tennessee would have probably lost this game against Alabama where the diversity just came in and things were just not going the way they were supposed to be going. But this team showed the grit and determination of a team who is number one ranked in the country and fighting to get there. And they got there. They won. They only shot 29% in the second half. 
so that was not great. But again, they found a way to win. They locked down Petty. Uh, with under 10 seconds to go, Alabama was going to have a shot because Tennessee was only up one. Petty, he was called for a traveling violation. You look at the replay. He traveled uh, with 3.2 seconds left. Lamonte Turner, two free throws. Clutch, clutch, three free throws with two and a half seconds left. Uh, Alabama had one last second heave. Did not fall. And Tennessee escapes Thompson Bowling Arena with the win. And again, you look at, again, Schofield struggled for a while in that game. He did make some good shots down down the stretch. And again, Williams had that big block there uh, against Petty, which was amazing right late in the game. That's something just big playmakers make when it's clutch time. So that was awesome to see. The fact that they moved Jordan Bowden on to Petty in pretty much the last half of the second half, really, and locking him down because he scored very little after that. So that was some good switches, and Tennessee was able to find a way to win. Again, Alabama Alabama did beat Kentucky to start SEC play. They might not be as really good this season as they were last season when they had Sexton on their team, but still a very formidable team. I would not want to face them again, say, in the SEC tournament. So we have that. Tennessee is number one, and again, the last time they were number one, they lost at Vanderbilt. Tonight, as of this recording, they're also playing at Vanderbilt. Now, Vanderbilt is not the same team that they had the last time. Vanderbilt has had some issues. They're, I think, 0-5 in the SEC at this point. But again, weird things happen in Memorial Gymnasium there in Nashville. And teams, players, when they're playing the number one team in the country, they get superpowers that they don't normally have. So you know Vanderbilt... And the fans there would love to upset Tennessee. And then also on Saturday, Tennessee is hosting West Virginia in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. And West Virginia just coming off beating Kansas, the only team Tennessee has lost to so far this season. Now, again, this is a much different Kansas team. It was at West Virginia, and Kansas has lost a couple of players that way. It was a crazy week in the top 25 last week. So the fact that Tennessee was able to just hang on to Alabama and get the win went really well for them. Duke lost to Syracuse to open the week. Um, Of course, they did lose um, Trey Jones, their point guard, who should be back later in the season, but not having probably their best overall defender and their point guard definitely hurt them in that one. And also Cam Reddish was sick during that game. But then they did come back and beat uh, number four, Virginia, at home. Actually, I think they jumped up to number three, even though they lost at Duke. Again, it is at Duke, so you got to give UVA credit for that, but they were undefeated. Michigan lost at Wisconsin, so no more undefeated teams ever, or not ever, but no more undefeated teams this season in college basketball. You also had 13 other ranked teams lost last week. Uh, you look at how the top 25 in the AP poll has gone. Tennessee, number one with 48 first place votes. Duke, number two, still 11 first place votes. Virginia at number three with three first place votes. Gonzaga, Michigan. Michigan State has two first place votes down at number six. And then Nevada, Kentucky has moved back up into the top 10. Kansas at number nine. Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Marquette, Maryland up to number 13. They jumped six spots, which was a big move for them. Texas Tech dropped down to 14th, tied with Buffalo. Then you've got Auburn in the SEC. Houston, Villanova, Iowa there in the Big Ten. Ole Miss at number 20. They dropped a couple of spots after finally losing an SEC game. NC State, 
21, then Mississippi State, and then rounding out the top 25, Louisville, Iowa State, and LSU has made their way into the top 25. Now, again, am I expecting Tennessee to stay number one the rest of the season? I am not. The back end of the SEC schedule is loaded. We've got to do back-to-back road games at Ole Miss and at LSU. We play Kentucky twice. We've got to play Florida again when we've got Mississippi State and Auburn. So we've got some ranked teams and some tough ones down the road, but this team has shown some great resolve, and I love watching them play. Meanwhile, it looks like the Vols, number one in men's basketball, the Lady Vols, they must have pulled some sort of freaky Friday because the Lady Vols, of course, under Coach Summit, notorious for being number one or around the top spot in women's college basketball, have now lost with the loss they had earlier in the week to Arkansas. The Lady Vols have now lost five straight games for the first time ever, ever, and three straight at home for the first time ever. And to make things just all better for the Lady Vols, on Thursday, number one Notre Dame comes to Thompson Bowling Arena. So it's it's not looking great for Coach Holly Warlick. It's, it's interesting because, again, you should be able to root, you know, recruit just top names and top talent, maybe not cream of the crop, but ranked talent for crying out loud. The Lady Vols are out of the top 25. You should be able to recruit that talent on just the Lady Vols name alone. And that's what's interesting. What I'm worried about at this point, and again, I know this is a young team, but you're worried about the Lady Vol name really becoming irrelevant to a lot of the girls in high school and the ones you'd be recruiting coming up now, where it doesn't mean what it used to mean. UConn is still there. Gino R.E.M. is still doing wonders. But I don't know if you're going to get there. I don't know if you'll get there with Holly Warlick. As much as I hate to say that, you might need to make a change to get some of this talent to do something with. Because, again, they've made some issues and not doing formations and, and plays right. And, yeah, that's on the players, but it's on the coaches as well. So... It's a tough situation. We'll see what happens when they play Notre Dame uh, coming up this week. But I'm not. It's not looking good for Holly Warlick and company with the Lady Vols. Meanwhile, other bits of news here around the world of sports: the Australian Open is going on down under. Uh, as always, we talk winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators. Congratulations to seven seed Karolina Plitskova from the Czech Republic. She won the final six games and survived four match points. Uh, to defeat 16 seed Serena Williams. By the way, Serena Williams, yes, I know where she had dropped out because she had a child, but really, you've got to make her the 16 seed still at this point. There's no reason she and Simona Halep, the number one seed, should be playing in the fourth round ever. Serena Williams deserves to be a top seed just on legacy alone. Now, if she starts losing and not competing, well, you can drop her back down. But the fact that she's a 16 seed is still personally an insult I think but again uh, Plitskova great job again won the last six games survived four match points to defeat Serena Williams Williams uh, appeared to roll an ankle said it didn't bother her uh, after the first match point but it does rob us of a rematch between Serena Williams and four seed Naomi Osaka who advanced to the semifinals that would have been a rematch of their US Open final with all the controversy with the crowd misbehaving Serena for lack of a better term, misbehaving as well. In the other semifinals, uh, another uh, uh, woman from the Czech Republic, Petra Viktova, forgive me if I mispronounced that, 
two-time Wimbledon champion. She's the eight seed. And she'll be taking on uh, the unseeded American 25-year-old Danielle Collins, who has made a great run to the semifinals. We'll see how that ends up. And on the men's side of the semifinals, Novak Djokovic, of course, from Serbia. He's taking on Lucas uh, Puli from France, the 28th seed. And then on the other side, Rafael Nadal versus Stefanos Sitspas from Greece. Uh, and he beat Roger Federer back in the fourth round. Of course, I definitely see that being uh, Novak Djokovic versus Nadal in the final for the men's side. And I'm going to go with Osaka versus uh, uh, Vitova in the other semi. So we'll see how that goes. And of course, we'll congratulate the winners when they uh, finish up there here on Modern Day Gladiators. Back into the NFL real quick as we, of course, will be previewing much more about the Super Bowl. But one of the uh, stories came out talking about commercials. This year it looks like it's going to be about $5 million for a 30-second ad. Could be more for the first quarter. But there's one commercial that CBS has decided they are not going to air, and that is a commercial uh, from Acreage Holdings. And it's going to be – it would have been a 30-second spot about the benefits of medicinal marijuana. Acreage Holdings – is a company and uh, one of the people on the board of that is former uh, U.S. Speaker of the House, John Boehner. You can definitely tell, as always, the NFL, not a fan of marijuana. They still have pretty much a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to that, even though many uh, former NFL players say how much it helps them deal with the pain rather than dealing with the addictive personality of opioids. This is not a podcast that we're going to talk about addiction really with that, but I have seen the benefits from people that I know in my life with medicinal marijuana. So, and again, meanwhile, the NFL is going to continue to advertise alcohol to the high heavens, um, even though medicinal marijuana is available in about 30 states right now and probably more if states know what's good for them in getting on that bandwagon and of course they're probably going to have some sort of painkiller some sort of opioid medication or something you know because the statistics just came out and it shows you're more likely to die of an opioid uh overdose than you are to die in a car crash but no the opioid epidemic's not a problem at all in the country so you know, just keep taking the opioids don't don't you know get prescribed anything that might not have as much of an addictive issue as opioids at all no and don't add that uh at all. So, anyway, they should air the commercial. You can check it out on the Acreage uh, Holdings website, and I think they're going to post it on YouTube as well around the time of the Super Bowl. So, check that out if you can. Last bit of shibbles and bits. The Hall of Fame for baseball came out uh, just last night as of this recording. Congratulations to Mariano Rivera, Edgar Martinez, Roy Halladay, and Mike Mussina are the four newest inductees into the Hall of Fame baseball class. There are now 131 players that are going to be uh, selected and members of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Only one of them was unanimous, and that was Mariano Rivera, the former closer for the New York Yankees. He was the first one ever. You have to think about that. You have to get a 75% of the vote from the Baseball Writers Association of America to be cons to be selected to the Hall of Fame. So it's not easy to get in. But you look at the history of baseball. Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Mickey Mantle, Ken Griffey Jr., the, the Mike Schmidt... The list goes on and on. None of them, up until Mariano Rivera this year, was unanimous, which to me is insane as a unanimous first-year selection. We knew Rivera was going to get in, but I, the fact that nobody had been unanimous up to this point is just stupid. The old cagey 
angry at the world, apparently, baseball writers are like, well, like, just using the most recent with Ken Griffey Jr., who got like 99%. Three people left him off their ballot. Why? Because he didn't win a World Series? He's a great player. He's like over 600 home runs and just awesome defender and greatness. Why would you leave him off the ballot for the first year of the Hall of Fame? That's just stupid on so many levels. Or Willie Mays. Really? You left Willie Mays off your ballot? For what reason? Or Mickey Mantle, for crying out loud. Just, it's it's insane. But congratulations to Mariano Rivera. I got to see him uh, close the game out when I was up in New York visiting my sister, I think back in 2011. Closed the game out there. Got one of his 652 saves. 42 saves in the postseason, including the final out of five World Series championships. Also, um, 14 of those postseason saves were two innings or more. And the man threw one pitch. He threw that cut fastball that broke so many bats and broke so many spirits of so many players, so many teams, and so many fans over the season. The fact his nickname was the Hammer of God. He came out to enter Sandman by Metallica. I mean, how can you not love Mariano Rivera? You might hate the Yankees, but Mariano Rivera, just one of the best, nicest players of all time from Panama. Just an amazing career, and of course, should be a unanimous Hall of Fame guy. Shouldn't be the first. There should have been plenty before then. But congratulations to Mariano Rivera leading this class. And again, just a wonderful guy. And the last one to wear the number 42 uh, in Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball, I believe, back in 1997, I believe, retired all retired all the the number 42 but I think there were two active players Mo Vaughn and Mariano Rivera were still wearing number 42 and they could still wear it until they retired I remember uh, Jackie Robinson's widow during the farewell tour that Mariano Rivera had um, <laughs> she she sent a video tribute when they were playing the Dodgers and said you know Jackie would be proud of a, a guy like you wearing number 42 except the fact that you're playing for the Yankees because, of course, back then the Dodgers were playing in Brooklyn and not big fans of the Yankees either. So that was a touching tribute there. And again, just all the great stats there. We also got to look at congratulations to an 18-year career. Edgar Martinez and the Mariners getting in on his last year of eligibility. Uh, uh, 3-12 lifetime average, uh, 309 home runs. He's only one of six players retiring after World War II to retire with a 300 a plus 300 batting average, a plus 400 on base percentage, and a plus 500 slugging percentage. He also uh, had wonderful batting averages against the other three inductees into this Hall of Fame, which were all pitchers. A 579 batting average against Mariano Rivera. That's pretty damn good. 307 uh, average against Mike Mussina, and a 444 average against the late Roy Halladay. So, again, great. He it took him till his last year to get on again. He spent all his 18 years with the Mariners. He uh, was a designated hitter for so much of that, and there was a lot of stigma about he. Well, he didn't really play that much in the field, so that took him a while to get in. But he did get a good push with that. So congratulations to uh, Edgar Martinez. Of course, a lot of people argued that closers shouldn't get in because that position was pretty much invented, uh, but with uh, Dennis Eckersley and Tony LaRussa back in the day. So, again, things change. Evolve with it, Baseball Writers Association of America. Get with it on some of this stuff. Roy Halladay, the late Roy Halladay passed away 
2017 in a, in a plane crash. 203 and 105 record, 338 ERA, two Cy Young awards, 61 complete games in a time now that complete games don't really matter much anymore, and one perfect game, and also the only other person in the postseason to throw a new hit, no hitter, and that was in 2010 versus the Reds in game one of the divisional round. The only other one, of course, was the immortal Don Larson's perfect game in 1956 with the uh, picture of him uh, with Yogi Berra jumping into his arms at the end of that. And Mike Mussina, an 18-year career, a 270 and 153 record, another workhorse guy, 368 ERA and 2,813 strikeouts. Guys on the outside still looking in. Again, you need 75% of the vote. Kurt Schilling, 60.9% of the vote. Roger Clemens, 59.5%. And Barry Bonds at 59.1%. So we'll see if they are ever going to get in. So we'll just kind of see how that goes. Moving into wrestling as this wraps up Shibbles and Bits again. But let's move into the squared circle as we wrap up another great and wonderful and glorious edition of the Modern Day Gladiators podcast. It's Royal Rumble weekend, one of my favorite events of all time. And of course, we got to start with TakeOver Phoenix. TakeOver Phoenix looking to be another awesome five-match TakeOver card. So check that out on the WWE Network. The night before the Royal Rumble, Matt Riddle versus Cassius Ono in a renewal of their rivalries. Ono's always been kind of the gatekeeper with some of these guys putting over new talent coming up. Matt Riddle, the king of the bros, as much as I don't like bro guys. Matt Riddle, though, I enjoy what he does, and I've got Matt Riddle getting the win against Cassius Ono. The North American Championship on the line is Ricochet defends against Johnny Gargano, which just should be an awesome match. There's not much story really going into it except Tommaso Ciampa kind of twisting Johnny Gargano's mind a little bit. And I've actually got... Johnny Gargano getting the win over Ricochet in that one. The undisputed era of Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong defending their tag team championships against the War Raiders. I've got the War Raiders finally getting their due and getting the win in that one and getting the championship. Shayna Baszler, Bianca Belair, the NXT women's title on the line. Bianca Belair, of course, the former Lady Vol track star, undefeated in singles competition in NXT. I'm going to still go, though, with Shayna Baszler and the shenanigans from her uh, lackeys and getting the win and retaining the championship there. And Tommaso Ciampa versus Aleister Black for the NXT championship. Of course, Ciampa defeated Black with uh, help of Johnny Gargano as a mistake, really. It, you know, there was a fight over the title and, and um, Aleister Black got hit with it. And Tommaso Ciampa has been champ ever since. I'm going to go with Ciampa retaining. Something interesting could be going on with Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, who of course came in as big faces, as a great tag team. They broke up. Ciampa's been, of course, the villain this whole time. But I've got Gargano and Ciampa renewing almost a camaraderie together, but now as heels. That should be a really interesting dynamic to see. So I would love to see that. And that could happen. Again, just watch NXT TakeOver Phoenix. TakeOvers have just totally reeked of awesomeness. So just check it out. It's going to be great. Meanwhile, moving into the Royal Rumble itself, the event. Rusev versus Shinsuke Nakamura for the U.S. title. I've got Rusev getting the win there. Man, over a year, Nakamura has gone from winning the Men's Royal Rumble to just... It hasn't been great. And I love Shinsuke Nakamura. But man, it has been kind of disappointing to see where his year has gone since he won the Royal Rumble last year, but I've got Rusev retaining there. The Bar versus Miz and Shane McMahon, I've got The Bar retaining in that one. 
cruiserweight title on the line. Buddy Murphy, the champion, fighting against Akira Tozawa, Hideo Itami, and Kalisto in a fatal four-way match for the cruiserweight crown. I've got Buddy Murphy retaining that one. Ronda Rousey versus Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship. Has not been a lot of build, but this should still be an awesome match. I'm excited to see it. I've got Ronda Rousey retaining there. Asuka versus Becky Lynch, the SmackDown Women's Championship. Should be another great match. A lot of great matches on paper here. I'm excited to see... What's going to happen as these all take shape? I'm going to go with Asuka retaining. I think there will be some shenanigans from either Charlotte or Ronda Rousey in this one. So we'll see where that all goes. Daniel Bryan versus AJ Styles for the WWE Championship. I've got... It's going to be interesting because at Wrestle Kingdom for New Japan, all the champions lost their matches. And I'm almost looking at all of the champions retaining in this one. I could be completely off in that, uh, but that's what my guess is going to go. I'm going to go with Daniel Bryan retaining and hanging on to that championship. And I've got Brock Lesnar and against Finn Balor, which should be awesome. You know what? I'm going to go crazy. And for some reason, I'm going to go out on a limb and have Finn Balor get the Universal Championship. I don't know how. Maybe there's going to be some interference from Braun Strowman. We'll see. It might be kind of a Brock versus Eddie Guerrero from No Way Out 2004 where Goldberg speared Brock Lesnar and Eddie was able to win the championship in a great moment. I'm going to see what's happening. I've got Finn Balor winning the Universal Championship. As for the Royal Rumble matches themselves... The Women's Royal Rumble, I'm going to go with Charlotte Flair getting the win in that one. There's going to be somewhere along the road, and I don't know exactly how they're going to get to it, but I've got, for WrestleMania, I think it's going to be a three-way match with Becky Lynch, uh, Ronda Rousey, and Charlotte Flair uh, somehow in that one. I don't know if you really like a three-way title match, but they're the three most over-women in the company right now. Shoot, Becky Lynch is probably the most over person in the company as a whole. But I've got Charlotte winning the Women's Royal Rumble uh, many, many years after her father won it back in 1992. Still probably the greatest Royal Rumble, really, when you just look at everything that happened in the match and the stars that were in there. Just an awesome Royal Rumble match. Check that one out on the WWE Network. The Men's Royal Rumble winner, I'm going to go with Seth Rollins getting the win in that one. That should be another awesome match. Uh, Seth has not been doing well storyline-wise in a lot of things, so I think that just leads him to being the favorite. And I think one of the people that they're tapping to kind of be the guy uh, until Roman Reigns is able to come back, there's been some good news on the leukemia front for Roman Reigns. We, We hear his recovery is going well, at least so far, from some of the rumors and news that has been out there. And, of course, we wish Roman Reigns all the best, and we'll definitely cheer him very loudly when he comes back. But I do have Seth Rollins Uh, getting the win in the Royal Rumble, even though Drew McIntyre could also be a big contender in that one. But I like Seth frickin' Rollins to get the win in the 2019 Men's Royal Rumble. That's going to wrap up this episode of Modern Day Gladiators. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart to listening. And please, wherever you hear and listen to this podcast, please like, subscribe, share. Please give us those five-star reviews. That's the best way you can help the podcast right now. Until next time, of course, as we break down all the stuff coming up next week, I am Michael Shibley. I love you guys. Too sweet. I will see you next time. Bye.